just like Joshua, wherever he is, I'm in the Immersed program. And I remember sitting in the room, and I was sitting, we were sitting in a square. Mark was on this side, Darcy was on this side, Kyle was on this side, my three mentors. And I was trying to convince them that they should let me graduate early. And I am a persistent dude, if you have not yet met me. When you meet me, you will understand. And I was shooting my shot. Like, I was leaning in. Where I was like, look at me. Look at me. I, look how grown up I am. Come on. You would let me graduate. Like, Mark, Mark, please. Darcy, you've seen me preach. Darcy, like, look how fast I respond to my emails. Like, I'm a professional, bro. Like, graduate me. Immerse is a competency-based program. Look how all the things that I can do. And those jerks said no. Yeah, I know. This story does get better. But at that point, I remember feeling crushed. Like, really, really, really disappointed. I had worked for three years up until this point. I remember giving up evenings. I remember giving up weekends. I remember, like, grinding 50-hour, 55-hour weeks, like, just trying to get this done early. And now these three guys who have profoundly impacted my life are saying, no, take more time. I was pretty upset, and Kyle, one of the guys, looked at me, and he said, Freddie, I know you wanted to graduate, but just take one more year. Know God better. Spend more time with your family. In the moment, I was not ready to hear that. But as I have reflected on that experience over the last year, I think both of the things he said were were true. I, I did need to spend more time with my family, and I did need to know God better. I think Jonah experienced something similar, but times infinity, when he was in the belly of the fish. Jonah needed to know God better. It just took him getting eaten by a fish to get there. That was not my story. I got a little disappointment as someone said no to me. But Jonah had to be eaten by a fish to fully know who God is. And as he's sitting in the belly of the whale, as the VeggieTales movie goes, He learned one valuable lesson. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What I want you to take away from tonight is the same thing that Jonah learned as he's sitting in the belly of that fish. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is the word of God. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy hill. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Here's the line. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I have two points today. The first one is that God works in hard times. So 
Just in case you were not here last week, obviously we're in Jonah chapter 2, you missed Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to give you a quick flyby of the narrative up to this point. We met last week the prophet Jonah. He was a prophet of God, commissioned by God to carry a message to the city of Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. God said, go and tell them of judgment. Jonah said, no thank you, later God, I'm out. Got on a boat and went the opposite direction. I showed a map last week. Jonah went from modern-day Israel to modern-day Spain. He crossed the entire Mediterranean world. You can't even see it on one screen of Google Map. Like, you got to scroll. That's how far he was running away. In the ancient Near Eastern world, he was running to the literal other side of the world. He wanted as far away as possible from the mission that God had given him. But God was not going to let this rebellion go unpunished, so God sent a big storm. And that big storm caused the sailors that were in the boat with Jonah to freak out. They're like, we're going to die. We've been on a boat many times. How are we going to survive? They're praying to their gods. They get Jonah up, and they say, pray to your God. And Jonah says, this is on me. I'm rebelling against Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God who made the universe, the God who controls the seas. So if you guys throw me in the water, the storm will stop. The sailors are like, that sounds crazy. We're not going to do it. But the storm keeps going, and they're afraid for their life, so they throw them in the water. The moment Jonah goes in the water, the storm ends. And then we're told a fish rose up, sent by God, and swallowed Jonah up. If you've seen the VeggieTales movies, as I'm sure many of you have, you know that this was a whale. I don't know how historically accurate VeggieTales can be, but the text is explicit. It was a great fish. Uh, It could have been a tuna. Those Those are very large fish. It could have been a whale of various kinds. Uh, it might have been just a really, 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 really big small fish, or what would be a normal small fish. It, it doesn't actually matter what the fish was. The point of the story, the point that Jonah's trying to make is God sent it. God sent this fish to eat Jonah up, and what sounds like is punishment is actually a salvation. That fish saved Jonah's life. And that fish created an opportunity where Jonah could write this psalm. Now, Jonah chapter 2 doesn't look like a psalm, right? It's not titled a psalm. It's titled Jonah chapter 2. But if you're familiar with the Bible and you read through Jonah chapter 2, it kind of sounds like a psalm. If you've ever read through the book of Psalms, Jonah chapter 2, you're like, I, actually, it could, if you just told me, just made up a number, it's Psalm 75. I would believe you. It sounds like a psalm. And this is because the Bible will consistently take historical narrative and follow it with some poetry, with a song. Let me give you a few examples. The Exodus story. So the Israelites, they've been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. God raises up Moses, sends Moses to Egypt, and, you know, tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And they actually do. He escapes Israel, leads a whole flock of people. They get to the Red Sea, and they're like, we're going to die. Pharaoh and his army are behind us, greatest military in the world. Uh, There's water there. We can't swim. We got little ones with us. Like, we're hooped. God prays, or sorry, Moses prays to God, and God parts the Red Sea. Moses doesn't do anything miraculous. He prays to God. God does the miracle. They walk through. The ocean closes behind them, swallows up Pharaoh's army. Crazy story, right? Historical narrative. Moses lived it. Moses comes out on the other side doing his happy dance and writes a song, right? Exodus 14 records that event as they get through the Red Sea. Exodus 15 is called the Song of Moses. 
And Moses just gasses up the Lord. He's like, our God saves. Our God can destroy Pharaoh. Our God is the greatest, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. In the Bible, you'll often find historical narrative followed by a psalm that is theological reflection on the event that just took place. This is not unique to the Old Testament. It happens in the New Testament. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, she's pregnant with John the Baptist. That in and of itself is a miracle because she's quite old. And she meets Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when she meets Mary, like the, the baby in her womb you know, does the backflip, which I'm sure the, she did not appreciate as a pregnant lady, but that she's reacting, or the baby's reacting to Jesus. And Elizabeth says, no, my, my kid recognizes the king. That baby in your belly, Mary, he's going to save his people from their sins. This is like, this is not just a miracle. Like, this is God in the flesh. Luke chapter 1, at the, kind of in the middle. At the end of Luke chapter 1, we have this, what's called Mary's Magnificat, where it's this song, and Mary just starts singing, where she's like, God, God raises the humble and lowers the proud. Like, God has provided salvation for Israel. Throughout the Bible, we will see this story, theological reflection. The reason for this is because the authors of the scripture want us to correctly understand the events. Jonah chapter two is his reflections on what he lived through in Jonah chapter one. And as we read chapter two, I think we're faced with an interpretive question. We know it's a psalm. What kind of psalm is it? Because there's kind of two options. Uh, first, it is a psalm of repentance. So Jonah acknowledges like, I rebelled against God. God gave me a clear command. I'm his prophet. I'm supposed to speak his words. And I went the opposite direction. I'm a rebel. God, forgive me of my sin. Restore me. Give me another chance, Father. I repent. Or option two is that it is a psalm of praise. I needed help and God delivered me. God rescued me from the pit. When we read through the psalm, the language of it sounds a lot more like the second option. It's a psalm of praise. Jonah is praising God for rescuing him. Jonah is praising God that this whale or this fish has delivered him from death. But I think we have to wrestle with the question because last week I made a big deal of Jonah's rebellion. I, I said that he, he was a rebel against God and I compared him to the sailors who responded in obedience to God. So if Jonah is a rebel against God, at, in some way he needs to repent. Like he needs to acknowledge his sin if he's gonna go and carry God's message, if he's gonna be a faithful prophet. So I wanna dig through the text and show you that I think he in fact repents. Before I can do that though, I wanna quickly define repentance. When I say repentance, I mean change. Like actual vi visible change. I think when we hear that word, we think like contrition, we think a deep emotional feeling, maybe we think guilt, like I feel really bad. That's not repentance. Repentance is, I did this. Father, I'm sorry. I'm now going to do this. It's an actual change. I want to give you a negative example of the kind of repentance we often see. My first job, grocery store. I loved it. I worked as a, as a merchandiser or stalker. I worked I, five years. I would stock the shelves from 5 a.m. in the morning till 1.30 in the afternoon. It was the perfect shift because I could... I get up early, I don't mind early mornings, I would go to work, I would get home, take a nap, then go play basketball with the dogs. So I had dream bachelor life. So this was my life, 
I also did school on the side. My schedule had to change because some of my classes, and I had to work a few Saturdays. I said I was a morning person, but every now and then, I'll get a little bit fatigued, and then I got to sleep in a few days in a row. I just happened to work one of the days I decided to sleep in. So your boy was supposed to be there at 6 on Saturday morning to open the store, or like to, to go in with everyone who was starting, store open at 9. I showed up at 7.15. So like, there's like late, right, when you're late, like five minutes, and sometimes your boss will let it go. And then there's like the, like really, I'm sorry late, when you're like 15 minutes late. Once you crack like an hour, honestly, like don't even bother showing up. Like it's pretty disrespectful. So I was that level of late. I got talked to, they were like, Freddie, don't do it again. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'll never let it happen again. It happened again the next week, like seven days later. They called me into the office again. Manager was like, Freddie, Freddie, like we talked about this. Like, you're a great employee, but if you don't show up on time, you're not going to be a great employee. Like, can you show up on time? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I will never let this happen again. Like, I don't even know how it happened twice. Honestly, it shouldn't have happened once. My bad. I'll never do it again. The next week, I did it again. Yeah, your boy took three losses in a row. It, like, that's probably the lowest I've ever been. Like, that, it's a tough look. There's no bouncing back from that. But it only happened three times. The fourth week, I was there on time. No? Yeah, thank, come on, one person. Thank you. Thank you. We should, re we should rejoice and celebrate our repentance. My point is, if you ask me after the first time, did Freddie repent? The answer is obviously no, because you know that I was late the second week. If after the second week you asked me, did Freddie repent? It doesn't matter how much I said I was sorry. It doesn't matter if I was crying. I didn't repent because I did it again the next week. If someone is going to repent, they actually have to change. So if Jonah has repented from his rebellion against God, he actually has to change. I want to show you two ways that Jonah changes. The first is in his thoughts. Jonah's thoughts are markedly different in what is described in chapter 2 compared to what we see in chapter 1. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah attributes every single thing that happens to God's hand. As he's reflecting on everything that happened in the story, he's like, no, 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 God, God did this. Uh, God is the one who threw me in the water, in verse 3. In verse 6, he says, God is the one who rescued me from the pit. In verse 10, he says that God spoke and the fish vomited him up. When you ask Jonah, okay, Jonah, who's working in this story? His answer is, God's working in the story. God is the one who is in control. God is working. Jonah from chapter 1 thought he could run away from God. Jonah from chapter 2 understands God correctly, that, that God is in control. Jonah from chapter 2 also trusts God. His, his thoughts are those that turn to God seeking mercy. In verse 2, we're told that he called out to the Lord. This is one of two times that the, the word means he, he, he prayed. He's praying to God because he knows he messed up, but he knows that God is the kind of God who rejoices in repentance. The kind of God who's like, no, I will take you back. I'm not that proud. Jonah, I just want to hear you repent. And he's like, God, God, will you rescue me? I called out to the Lord. And then verse 9 is obviously the most important one where Jonah, reflecting on everything that's happened in his life, he says, no, no, no. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God chooses who he saves. God is in control. God saved me, and if God wants to save Nineveh, God can do that. God is in control. His thoughts have changed. 
I think also his actions have changed. In verse 8, the way that he speaks of idols is different than the way that we see the story in chapter 1. In chapter 1, the sailors turn to all the idols and they're praying, and Jonah just acknowledges it. Obviously, there's idols out there. People worship other gods. Jonah from chapter 2 says that those who, he speaks a challenge, he says those, those who worship vain idols won't have steadfast love. It's not just, he's not neutral towards idols. He acknowledges that they exist, but he calls them what they are. It's, it's vanity. It's not real. It's not going to help you. So Jonah seems to be different in the way he's talking, in the way he's thinking. At the end in verse 9, he says, no, I'm going to speak with thanksgiving, and I will keep my vow. If you remember from last week, the sailors in verse 16, they ended the same way. They said, like, we've made a vow to the Lord. They made a sacrifice, or they gave a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows, right? right, Last week, I explained that vows are when someone makes a commitment to obey, and in the Old Testament, they actually followed it through. Like, they thought God would strike them down if they didn't. So Jonah has the same kind of faith as the sailors, who last week I said had genuine faith, who I think actually changed. So in Jonah, we see actual repentance. This actual repentance comes because Jonah lived through a world-shaping or worldview-shaping thing. He, he ended up in the belly of a fish. And as he's sitting in the belly of this fish, wondering how he got there, wondering who God is, wondering what God is doing in the world, I, he arrived at the conclusion that, that God is in control, that, that God is actually working in even the hard things of life. You see, Jonah lived through one really hard experience, and it led to a big shift in his thinking, right? The hard experience is that he almost died. That's the language of chapter 2, right? I'm going to go back and read you verses 2 to 5, because I, I want you to see this. I called out to the Lord in my distress, right? I, I'm feeling anxious, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and all your billows passed over me. You can feel him breathless. Like, God, I have no hope. God, can you help me? I'm crying out to you. Then he said, I'm driven away from your sight. And then it starts to turn for him as he thinks of who God is. No. I shall look again upon your holy temple. Hope. And you have to wonder, like, was Jonah looking through the water and he saw the outline of the fish? Or was Jonah trying to swim and he's like, maybe I can make it up to the surface? What gave him that hope? We don't know. But he had a glimmer of hope. And then back in the deep, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Jonah has sunk to the bottom of the sea. He's goner. He's, he's going to die. The judgment that God sent, that storm, is going to take his life. But God didn't just send judgment. God also sent deliverance. And that fish comes up, and that fish eats him and spares him from death. Now, you might be wondering, how on earth is a fish eating me? Deliverance. Like, if, that was, if I was Jonah... And I got eaten by a fish. I would not be thinking, oh, God, your mercy is so great. Uh, you let me get eaten by this fish, and I know now that you are real and you are good. But that's how Jonah responds. I think Jonah responds that way because that fish eating him gave him more time. Jonah was at the bottom of the ocean, wrapped in the weeds. He was going to die. He was going to drown to death. That fish gave him 
three more days. And we don't know when Psalm 2 was written. We don't know if it was day one. We don't know if it was day two. Uh, we don't know if it was after he got launched out. And he's thinking back on the events. And he says, no, this is what I felt. What we know is that Jonah felt these things. He lived through a hard thing. And that hard thing helped him understand who God was. Jonah from chapter 1 thought of himself quite highly. His plan, his wisdom, his abilities were great. God is whatever. And at the end of this event, after he gets eaten by this fish, Jonah is thinking to himself, no, like, God is in control. Uh, God is good. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He knows who God is better. I think the, the theological shift that happened in Jonah's mind was what theologians call providence. Now, obviously, theological words, so I'll define it. Uh, providence is the idea that God is in control of, of all things. This is a distinctly Christian idea. The only place you will hear this is inside the Christian church, in a church where people preach from God's word. If you read the scriptures, it is inescapable that God is in control and God is working in all things. The world thinks completely different. The culture around us disagrees with this idea, right? The words that you'll hear is, no, the universe, sending good vibes, I'm trusting fate. I hope it works out. It's up to chance or luck. This is evident in even the TV shows we watch. A show that I've enjoyed watching is called How I Met Your Mother. If you watch that TV show, it's, it's pretty funny, right? But the worldview of this show is garbage, right? The show is great, right? The, the, the premise for the show is there's a character, Ted Mosby, and a variety of his friends who are very entertaining. And the show is him telling his kids how he met their mother, hence the name, How I Met Your Mother. Ted's whole life is ups and downs, twists and turns, and explicitly he will say, ah, the universe took her away in that moment, but it was going to work out in the end. And he constantly comes back to this, the universe is working, the universe is working. At the end of the show, sorry, spoiler alert, uh, his wife gets cancer and dies, so the universe was quite cruel to him. So... He trusted in a thing that is impersonal. It just, it just happens. But that kind of thinking is shared by people all around you. Stuff just happens. Jonah from chapter 1 probably believed that. Jonah from chapter 2 is like, no, no, no. God is doing stuff all around. God is in control all around. A, a, a pastor from the States, John Piper, his definition is the best one I've heard. It's one thing to say God is in control, but if we want to be more precise, we would say that providence is the idea that God is purposefully sovereign. That purpose, God is doing something. He has a plan. He's working towards a goal and sovereign. That he, He's powerful. He can actually do the things that he wants to do. So if God calls a prophet and says, go to this place, and that prophet's like, no, nah, I'm not going, God can work out circumstances so that that prophet says, actually, Lord, I am going to go. I needed a second chance. Thank you, God, that you gave me a second chance. God can send a storm. And when the storm is going to take the guy's life, God can send a fish. And when the fish is going to take his life, God can, vomit, or God can cause the fish to vomit him out. It is inescapable in Jonah chapter 2 that God is in control. Now, you might be thinking, why are you making such a big deal of this? I believed you when you said it the first time. I'm making a big deal of this because if God is not in control, I, he actually can't work in the hard times. 
If God is not in control of all things, he actually can't help you when you're in the belly of the fish. Jonah's hope was that even when he was in the belly of the fish, God was in control. That's the theological reflection that Jonah gets to. In the hard time, he still trusted God. Uh, And if Jonah could trust God in the hard times, I think we can trust God in the hard times that we face. There's an American pastor who tells the parable of the bird, the cow, and the cat. Let me unpack it for you. I can see you're very intrigued. Uh, There is a little bird who is frozen in the middle of winter. It's a very happy little bird, but he landed somewhere. He should not have landed. It's the middle of winter. His little feet or legs, do they, birds have legs? Whatever they're called. He froze to the ground, and this little bird is chirping fearfully. I'm going to freeze to death. I'm going to die. I should have gone with all my friends south of the border and escaped the cold. And the cow walks by, and the little bird is like, can you help me? Please help me. And the cow's like, I got you, bro, and poops on the bird. Yeah, and the bird's, at first, the bird is ticked. Like, are you, I asked you for help. You said, yeah, I got you, bro, and then pooped on me. How is this help? What the little bird did not realize is that the cow manure is copious. There's a lot of it. When they go, they go. And it's very warm. And what it did is it actually melted the ice. And the little bird was free. After he cleaned himself off, he started chirping very happily. I'm freed from the ice. Oh, God, thank you for your mercy. He was celebrating so greatly that he attracted the attention of the neighborhood cat who came by and ate him. Thus ended the story of the little bird. Uh, You might be wondering, what the heck? Why that story? The point of the story is that not all manure is bad manure. Sometimes manure in your life actually does something good. I think the story of Jonah is a reminder that God actually works in the hard times. And you might be sitting in a big pile of cow manure, and you might be thinking, God, what the heck? What are you doing in my life? But God is actually working through that. God can work through that. Jonah's whole point is that God does work through the bad things. God worked through the fish. God will work through the hard things in your life. God is in control, even in the hard times, and he uses the hard times to lead to something better. You're seeing suffering in your life, but it it might be a second chance for something better. Let me give you a few examples. You might be sitting here, and you were one month into school, and you're already like, I'm going to fail this class. Like, I'm not getting it. I honestly hate school. I don't even know why I'm here. You're feeling lost. You're feeling overwhelmed. Uh, Maybe you recently lost your job or switched jobs, and the new job sucks, and you're thinking, why did I switch jobs? But you actually hated the old job, so you're glad you switched, but you, you kind of want to go back, but you don't. And again, you're lost. You're like, God, I, what am I supposed to do? Like, I need income, but like, why is this so hard? Or maybe you got dumped, like, in the last few months, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, it happened again. Uh, am I going to find someone, like, ever? Like, there's this room full of people, God. I, I don't need 100. I just need one. Can you send me one? You're looking at your life, and you see manure. You see the, fi- but you see the storms of life. But Jonah saw a fish. I think you can see a fish in some of these things. In the hard things that we face, 
If we believe what Jonah believes, that God is working in all things, God is working in the hard times, God is working even through those. Losing a job, failing a class, ending a relationship, all of those are hard things, but there are second chances for the next thing. And the Christian hope is that God is working in the hard thing. So if you're facing a hard thing, you can still trust that God is working. You might be thinking there and saying, Freddie, I want to follow you, but like, you don't know my life. So I want to encourage you, if, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, it feels like manure, it's not a fish, bro. Like th this is, my life sucks. Then I want to give you an encouragement. You don't have to be amazing. You don't have to say fancy words. I, you can simply just pray. It doesn't feel like a lot, but when you pray, I want to encourage you to pray what, what's called the prayer of serenity. Uh, it's three simple lines. God, will you give me peace to accept where you're working? Will you give me courage to change what I can? And will you give me wisdom to know the difference? If you're sitting there in the middle of the manure and you're wondering, God, why am I still here? Pray. And you're praying, God, help me accept what you're doing. Help me change what I can. And help me be able to tell the difference. There are some things I can't change, and I just got to trust you. And there are some things I probably should change, and I need your strength to do it. In the belly of the fish, you can do just what Jonah did, and you can pray. And God will answer you the same way that he answered Jonah. God works in hard times. Secondly, God saves at the right time. So we're going to return to Jonah's story here. Jonah's story is that he, like, he was in rebellion against God. Like, he did bad things. Like, God said, you should go. And Jonah said, no thanks. Right? So Jonah's story is one of, of a rebel, right? If I read Jonah 1, 1 to 2 again, that'll remind you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Right? Jonah explicitly rejected God's word. God spoke to him, like face to face, and was like, can you go? And Jonah was like, no, thank you. So Jonah from chapter 1, right? Inflated view of self. My plans, my ways, my wisdom much better than God. I want nothing to do with God. Jonah's a disobedient dude. But as I spoke about a few minutes ago, Jonah actually changed. We saw that his thoughts changed. We saw that his actions changed. Jonah went from disobedient and thankless in chapter one to obedient and thankful in chapter two. And we're faced with the question, why did Jonah change and how did he change? And I think these are critical questions to, to answer. So the first one, why did Jonah change? Like, what happened that led to Jonah changing the way he thought and the way he acted? In a word, he had, or in a word, in a sentence, God saved his life. Like, that's what happened. Jonah was drowning. God rescued him. And Jonah was like, oh, my goodness, I got to change some things. The kind of life I was living before led to me drowning in the ocean by myself. I should probably change some things, right? The, the language of the psalm is one of, of Jonah being rescued, from, not from like about to die, but like actual death, right? The word that he uses, that God rescued me from the belly of Sheol in verse 3, that word, Sheol, has a deep Old Testament background. Sheol in the Old Testament was, was the afterlife. It was where people went where they died. 
in the Hebrew mindset, they didn't fully grasp heaven and hell yet. Jesus had not yet preached on those things. But they knew that people didn't just cease to exist. God gives life. We're eternal beings. And they were, their understanding was that people would go to this place called Sheol, which was just kind of like an afterlife. You just kind of were there. And those people seemed somewhat aware of what was happening on earth, but very uninvolved. And Jonah says, no, no, like, God rescued me from the belly of Sheol. Like, I'm, I'm actually there. I'm already dead. Psalm 6, verse 5 uses the same language. And it helps, it's very helpful in seeing that it, it means actual death. In death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? Right? Hebrew poetry often parallels thoughts. So the parallel to death is Sheol. They're, they're synonymous. They're basically the same thing. So Jonah is saying, God rescued me from death. Jonah was given a second chance. Why did Jonah change? He was given a second chance. He, he got a do-over, right? We, we all experience do-overs, and they're an exceedingly lovely thing, right? I, one of my experiences of do-overs was golfing at my stag party like eight years ago. It was a horrible experience. Uh, golf sucks, and... Well, actually, that's not true. Golf is okay. I suck at golf. Therefore, golf sucks. So I went with my brother-in-laws, and I had never golfed in my life. I borrowed someone's sticks? What are they called? Clubs. Clubs. Zach's like, I don't know you anymore, bro. My bad, Zach. My bad. Uh, I borrowed someone's clubs. I don't even know if they were the right size. I was garbage. Uh, I was so bad that I had just had to keep using mulligans, and the guys started getting annoyed with me because they're like, no, no, a mulligan is like if you really crank a ball and it, like, it's gone. Like, you're supposed to use it like once, maybe twice. Like, you can't use it every hole, bro. And I was like, what happens, happens. So we switched to best ball. We started playing best ball. And best ball for a garbage golf player is probably the best version of golf there is because every single hit, you get a second chance. It doesn't matter what you do. You just play on the best ball. Right? That, like, that experience of getting a second chance makes you want to be better, actually. I'm like, oh, the ball's actually on the green. Maybe I want to try. Jonah experienced the same thing. God gave me a second chance. Maybe I actually want to try this obedience thing. Maybe I actually want to listen to what God says. Everyone needs second chances. And God gives Jonah a second chance at obedience. That's why Jonah changed. But the deeper question is, is how? Because we know lots of people that get second chances, and they're the same person, right? We ourselves have been given second chances, and we do the same dumb thing. So why Jonah changed was because he had the opportunity, he had a second chance, but how? Like, how did Jonah actually go from rebel to obedient? How does that happen? Because that's what I need in my life. Well, let's look at the story. I think Jonah changed... Because God changed Jonah's heart. God did something for Jonah that Jonah could not do for himself. There's a couple phrases in the story that make me think this. Jonah, in verse 7, says, I, I, I remembered the Lord. And he uses the personal name of God. I, I remembered Yahweh. He has this moment where he says, those who trust in vain idols lose their chance at steadfast love. The word that gets used for steadfast love is, is hesed. And that is this rich Old Testament word that refers to the covenant love of God. Like God will never leave you or forsake you. God is working for your good. God has your back. What was it 
that helped Noah have this moment of tremendous clarity where he's like, oh, yes, I remember Yahweh. Oh, yes, his steadfast love for me. He's working for my good. Because all kinds of people go through hard things, and they come out no different. Well, I think God actually reached in and, and, and changed Jonah's heart. I, I think Jonah understood who God was better as an expression of this changed heart. The clearest example of this, verse 9, Jonah says explicitly, salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah knows the reason he's alive, the reason he's been given a second chance is because God is working. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is aware for maybe the first time in his life that there is one God, and this one God demands obedience from all people, from Jonah, from Nineveh, from the sailors that in the, were in the boat with him, from the whale that he's inside the belly of. All of creation must obey God. Jonah is aware of it. And more than that, Yahweh, the Lord, is the kind of God who offers forgiveness when people disobey. Yahweh does this by changing people's hearts. Another prophet, not Jonah, but another prophet, Ezekiel, says these words in Ezekiel 36. This is Ezekiel speaking for Yahweh. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel is reflecting on something God is gonna do in the new covenant that is a permanent change. But as he speaks of it, it's a reflection on what God actually did even in the old covenant where God actually changed people's hearts, where God helped them in the moment understand their circumstances, where God helped them in the moment see who he was. Jonah understood who God was. Jonah remembered God. Jonah knew that salvation belonged to the Lord because God did something in, in his heart. The story of Ezekiel's line in Ezekiel 36 is looking forward to a much later day, 800 years later, when the Holy Spirit arrives and does this in the hearts of, of every Christian, right? God changes people's hearts, and that's a merciful act. But the most merciful act that God has ever done is seen in the sacrificial death of Jesus. Matthew 20, 28 says it this way, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to die for people like Jonah, open rebels who run the opposite direction, who are sitting in the belly of the whale saying, no, thank you. I don't want your help, God. And what God is saying he's going to do is, I'm actually going to change your heart. I'm actually going to make you want my forgiveness because you don't care for it right now. But I'm going to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. And as part of that, you will know me better. The only way that you can know God is when God reveals himself to you, and God revealed himself to Jonah through this whale, or through this fish that rescued him. Jonah knowing God better helped him to obey. That's the how. Jonah knew God better because God changed his heart, and he was able to obey. Greater knowledge leads to greater obedience. This principle I, I see every single day. I have a son. I've spoken of him often. Uh, my wife and I chase around our, our little boy, Isaiah. He's 18 months old, and he's fast, way faster than his dad. And he just runs around all day. Anything about three feet, 
from the ground or lower, he'll reach and he'll grab and he'll try to eat and he'll throw at something. Um, so obviously he has enough ability to get himself in precarious situations and no discernment, so he does really dangerous things. So I open the dishwasher, he goes for the paring knives. Uh, I give him something metallic and he goes for uh, a socket, right? Like he, he, he does dumb things that could cost him his life. And as our little boy started crawling and walking, I remember saying, like, the phrase, Daddy, have. Like, can I have that thing that you're carrying as he's holding the paring knife or as he's holding a fork trying to shove it into a socket? And Isaiah would always freak out. Like, he, if, if he even gave it to me, he, it would be him throwing it at me, like, hard. Or he would run away. The older he has gotten, the quicker he becomes at actually giving me the thing that I ask for. Uh, he'll grab my wallet and rip all my cash out, you know, all $5 that I carry, you know. We broke out here. But whatever it is that I have, he'll rip it out. And I'm like, I, Isaiah, Daddy, have? It's not even dangerous, but I'm like, I don't want him to lose my money. And he'll hand it to me. He's holding something sharp. Daddy, have? And he hands it to me. What changed for Isaiah in those six months from about a year when he started moving around to now? He just got to know me a little bit better. And he realized, you know what? That old guy that chases me around, he's not that bad. Uh, if I whine enough, he'll give me snacks. He picks me up. Uh, he lets me play in his truck. So he's not too bad. I'll keep him around. <laughs> greater knowledge leads to greater obedience. My son hesitates less as I ask him for things. Jonah, post belly of the whale, knew God better. That helped him mature. When God held out his hand and said, will you go to Nineveh? Jonah says yes. In chapter 3, Jonah actually goes through with his mission. Knowing God accurately gives us the motivation to be obedient. I think the lesson here is that God saves in the right time. God saved Jonah at just the right time through just the right amount of, of muck. I, Jonah made a real mess of his life before God stepped in, though, right? It took a big storm. It took three days in a, in, a, in a fish to actually change him. It took God changing his heart for Jonah to be a different person. God sometimes takes a sweet time. I think this is meant to inspire trust in us, this awareness that God takes his time. Because if God takes his time and God is always working, and God can change human hearts, then there is no one who is too far. They're like, there is not a person on the planet that we could look at and we could say, nope, they don't have a chance. Anybody can be saved. Jonah was running halfway across the world, and God reached out and grabbed him. I think the natural question in, that follows this, if we're like, okay, God can change human hearts. God is in control, and God is merciful. He's actually going to save people. As we start to think, like, what do I do? Do I have a role in this thing? And, and I think we do. I think our role is to pray for this transformation in other people. I remember being in, in your chairs once. A uh, long time ago, I was listening to a youth pastor, and he asked the provocative question, uh, if God suddenly just reached into human history and saved the last five people you prayed for, would anyone be saved? And I remember sitting there as a 16-year-old kid, and I was like, dog, I don't even know any non-Christians. I grew up in the church. And 
when we look at Jonah's story, I don't think we can let ourselves think that way. When you look at Jonah's story that God saved this guy who was running totally away from him, that God can save anybody, I think we would think, God, can you do that for my friend? Can you do that for my sibling? Can you do that for like, the person from my youth group who walked away? We all know someone who has walked away. You might be sitting here and you might be that person. And the hope of this passage is that God is actually in control. God is working and God saves at the right time. So God still might actually change you. So we should be the kind of people that pray not only, God, can you help me survive my own junk as I sit in the manure? But we pray, God, can you actually change their heart? Can you change their heart? Can you change the people around me, Father? I, they need to grow. Don't be discouraged by the slow progress. You can't change anyone, but you know someone who can. So you can pray that God would actually do that. The lesson here is that God saves at the right time. Returning to the story from the beginning, I'm sitting in this room with my mentors a year ago, and I'm feeling disappointed. I'm mad. Things didn't work out the way I wanted. Fast forward a year, and tomorrow, Lord willing, I wake up, and tomorrow, I graduate immerse. I'm done. Done with school, Adam. Woo! This will be you one day. Julie, wherever Julie is, Josh, right? That's our, our hope is that we graduate. That's why we go into it. And, and four years later, a whole bunch of sermons, a whole bunch of Bible studies, a whole bunch of books, uh, Kyle's words were true. That I do know God better. And if you ask me, Freddie, like how would you describe God in one sentence? I would agree with Jonah. Uh, I think God works in the hard times. I think God saves at the right time. And like Jonah said in chapter 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. It, if you study the scriptures, not just in the book of Jonah, but in the entirety of it, that's the God you see. A God who can actually save. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let me pray for us, and then I'll invite the music team up to lead us in a few songs. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that reminds us of these hopeful truths that, that you actually save, uh, that even people who are running away full speed, uh, that you'll send storms and fish to turn them around. Father, I don't know what the lives of the people look like in this room, uh, but I know that you're working. And I pray that as people leave this room, as they eat a snack, as they talk to the friends they came with, that you would bring things to mind, Father, ways that they can grow, ways that they can change. Father, we all want to be obedient. So I pray that you help us. I pray that people would actually be saved because that's what you do. Salvation belongs to you. We thank you for what you've already done, and we trust that you are still working even today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.